So today I have the pleasure of being here in the studio with Peter Haran. So Peter um, is an investor, operator, and advisor with a history of building successful media and internet businesses. Um, he's played a role in six major revolutions in media and technology, including home video games, personal computers, cell phones, window computing, Windows computing, internet, and mobile computing. And clearly I'm reading this, but what's amazing is that... Um, it's amazing I can be that old and still walk. No, that, that, that you are, you look so young, and it's like the time span. You're That's why there's a podcast and not a video. Oh, my gosh. No, it's... So as CEO and independent director, he's been part of nine... It's amazing. Profitable exits in the last 15 years alone, totaling approximately $2 billion in value and $3 billion in public market value creation. Um, he's got a background. It's nothing short of extraordinary. President and COO of Answers Corp., CEO of IAC Media and Advertising, CEO of About.com, CEO of AllBusiness.com. It's a, it's a litany. CEO of Goodmail Systems and CEO of DevX. He's currently on the board of directors of LendingTree, Business.com, Spirited Media, Topics, Adzerk, and Outdoor Project. I'm tired. Just I can't imagine. And he went fly fishing today, and he still is is successful doing all of these other boards. Um, he's an active outdoorsman and environmentalist, and is active in the Sierra Club, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, and Glen Canyon Institute. Welcome. What a pleasure to have you here. Great to be here, Julie. Thank you. Thank you. So. Um, as we uh, as as we talked a bit about earlier, um, I, we could have hours and hours of podcasts about you know your trajectory and what you've seen and trends and and digital. But I was more curious about the story of you and um, some of those moments in your life that um, maybe drew you to the path that you you took, and then how things maybe shifted from where you thought you'd be. Um, so. The first thing, of course, is I, I like to start with the childhood, and I know I, um, you know, I'm I'm setting the deck a little bit because I was able to learn about the story of the thumbs. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, will you share the story of the thumbs and your a bit of your childhood and your dad? Sure. Um, and so, when I was maybe ten years old, my dad decided he wanted to start businesses, uh, go from being a successful sales guy to a serially unsuccessful entrepreneur. Um, and there was always some harebrained scheme of something he was going to do, which was going to make us rich. Never did. Uh, and one of the, but one of the qualities of entrepreneurs is a lot of them become entrepreneurs because they can't work for anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was probably what motivated my dad more than anything is he just didn't take direction well. But so we started doing everything from Las Vegas dice games, frames for the Declaration of Independence. Um, frames for the Declaration of Independence. Yes. Yes. Um, he got this idea of we could um, – anything that involved sawing and nailing wood together. So of telephone of telephones in wooden boxes. Okay. Like I said, Las Vegas dice games, uh, framed copies of the Declaration of Independence. And what this meant, though, is when my brother and I are maybe 15, 16, we're, going, we're basically driving across the border to Tijuana uh, and picking up parts. And we're, like, driving around all night. And as my mother likes to say, oh, yeah, well, Tijuana was a better place, you know, all those years ago. Where were you living, though? Were you, we were in L.A. You were in L.A. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But so, yeah, we'd get in the car and, you know, um, and, and so we had all of these sort of sketchy jobs. But the the backward bending thumbs, yes, and, and Julia's staring at my thumbs that bend backwards at 90 degree angles. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of this, because we were the cheap manual trial labor. <laughs> and so we were sanding, steel wooling. 
uh, snapping hundreds of thousands of cheap plastic snaps on organic extraction kits. And so, yes, now my thumbs bend at unnatural angles because of all of the manual labor I was doing when I was 12, 13, 14 years oh old. Oh, my gosh. Did you, so did you, did you end up with like a bunch of calluses or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. You... But like I said, it just goes, yeah, you know, just like from pressing down repeatedly hundreds of thousands of times. That's crazy. Eventually, your thumbs adapt and bend backwards. That's crazy. Okay. Interesting. So um, when you look back on your childhood, we talked a little bit about what are those, you know, holy shit moments in life that happened that um, maybe change the trajectory of your of your career, but maybe even more importantly of your life and your chosen family. We talked a little bit about your dad and, and some of what you learned from him. And I think you told me about your, your quote unquote Irish twin. Yeah. Right. And and how with the two of you yeah. saw. For people who don't understand Irish twins, right. I have a brother, Tom, who was literally born in the same year. I'm born in February. He's born in December right. in the same year. Right. It's something about like if it's an Irish twin is within 12 months of each yes. other. Right? Yeah. 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 And, like I said, and the sort of higher art form Irish twin is literally within the same calendar year. Wow. So we're both born in 1955. Wow. So, Wait, was it, what months were you? December. And I was born in February. He was born in December. Wow. So, so you really so you're really tight. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. so you, the two of don't, you. Don't dwell on this. This is an unhappy. No, no, no. But the two of you were, got to see your, your dad. Yeah. Kind of going through life in these yes. entrepreneurial endeavors, if you will, yeah. without any success. And how did that change your well, trajectory you're thinking about so so there's a, a, another story which i don't think we talked about before Good. which was i'm the only person i know that was thrown out of high school for parental bad behavior oh my uh, god you um, were thrown out of high school yes but the, actually my parents were thrown out of high school i was just the collateral damage oh but so um because it was always economically sketchy my parents were always, okay look if you're gonna go to a good college you got to go to a good high school to go to a good high school you got to get a scholarship and this one high school they had targeted, I couldn't just win one scholarship, which was a history scholarship. I had to win the history and the general excellence because we didn't get the results of the one test. So, so I went ahead and did it. I, I won a four-year scholarship to this good prep school in L.A. And they were such a pain in the butt that after two years, the, the school threw us out. Oh, my gosh. And, no, were, were they like the ultimate helicopter parents before that was a thing? No, no, it wasn't even helicopter. They were like, it wasn't like they were butting into my you, education. They just wanted to butt into the administration of the school and everything help else. Help them. Ah. Yes. Um, Administratively. This is, this, is way off, this is way off topic, I think. But uh, sophomore year, I'm playing junior varsity basketball. And my father and his friend start heckling our coach. Now, not, normally, you heckle the other team's coach. Right. But my father and his friend were such so loud, they basically chased our coach out of the gym. But somehow he turns around and says, what, you think you do a better job? They said, yeah, get the hell out of here. And so he storms off. They don't miss a beat. They walk down and start coaching the basketball oh game. My God. And these are, these are not the things that endear you to school administrations. Mm. Nor probably give you as a student the best warm, fuzzy feeling about like, oh my, this is, I can imagine my son being like, oh my God, mom, please stop. Yeah, Was yeah it, no, like you put a towel over your head and go, right. oh, I just want to melt into the seat. Yeah, but a little, so, but it, so it is a little bit on topic it, it and appropriate is. It for is. what we're saying because you had a lot of these life experiences with your family yes. and your dad yes. especially. Yes, that no, sort of dad and mom both, but, and, but it was one of those things where, you know, uh, I don't want to say somewhere in our early teens, my brother and I just self-emancipated. Yeah. No, we realized our parents were flaky and unreliable, and any advice they gave us was probably going to be flaky. bad. Mm-hmm. And so we said, okay, we just got to basically raise ourselves and make our own decisions. Yeah. Which is what we ultimately did. And you did that, and actually, more than making your own decisions, was this commitment. 
I, your story has a thread to me of this commitment to um, industry and topic. And so yeah. without redoing your, your resume, you have some really fascinating stories that you've told me about Pong. and Yeah. Well, and the connection, you know, rather than just complaining about my misspent childhood, um, <laughs> is that, you know, a lot of people, they have a happy childhood and they sort of hold on to it. They, oh, my childhood, it ought to be like this. And, you know, happy family, happy house, happy country club, yada, yada. Um, being raised in a chaotic environment, you sort of have nothing to go back to. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing to be nostalgic about, nothing to go, oh, boy, those halcyon days when I was a child. No. It's like, so in a sense, you you wake up every day and you say, okay, I have to invent myself, invent my future, uh, and I've got to do it from scratch. And to really kind of fast forward to the so what, what's interesting is if you look at all the companies that have been blindsided by innovation in the last 30 years – it's usually that, mm-hmm. that, you know, they had a happy corporate childhood. They had a nice business, and they, they kind of want that to continue. Right. And somebody comes in and steals their lunch money, and then it's like, oh, wait, no, 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 we don't like it this way. It's like it's it's so much easier if we could just do what we've always done. Yeah. And But so I've always been on the side of the disruptor, uh, always the, you know, the barbarian at the gate from the outside. And, and so, so one of my sort of rules for myself has always been bet on the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, run away. From, like, I don't want. As I, when I was in the publishing business, which was along, you know, most of the '90s, I said I don't want to be the last. Fight the last stand of the tree killers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I want to get out of here. I want to go to the internet. And so, from the earliest days. Uh, so, uh, you mentioned Pong. So I wrote the owner's manual for Pong in 1975. I think that's crazy. Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> it, it was crazy. Um, and, and how do you write an owner's manual? I just I thought about that since you told me about right. that. Right. Sounds like what do you need it for? What? Well, it was well they were they had they, they, they were doing the home version. So they had they had very great success for a few years in bars and pizza parlors with the coin up version uh-huh. of Pong, and now it's like okay, here's how you hook it up to your TV. Here's turn the dial to the right, oh, okay. hit the ball. Turn the dial to the left, hit the ball. <laughs> get, get the ball past your opponent, you win. You know, okay. It, it was not very complicated. Super techie. No, okay. No, right. No, no, okay. No. But but around that same time, like so that was seventy five, uh, seventy seven. Um, I, I, I went to the second West Coast Computer Fair and I was helping a client of mine sell p- p- kit computers in plastic bags. Um, you know, in the early eighties, we were se- and at that fair, weren't you across the like the hall from yeah down Steve's? the aisle from the two Steves selling right. apples? Jeez. Well, no, because this was the um, yeah you know, and actually one of the other observations I would make mm-hmm. is. You know, um, and this is really, I think, something I'm stealing from Ray Kurzweil. You know, everybody wants to believe that innovation happens in a linear fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the future kind of creeps up on you a little bit, mm-hmm. 10% more each year, and you see it coming. You go, oh, yeah, 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 the future's here. And in fact, it's logarithmic. Mm-hmm. It's like you spent a long time when, when you know, or the, the Gibson uh, quote, you know, the future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you know, so there was a long time in the computer business before anybody noticed. You know, there, there were companies um, like IMSI, Altair, Vector Graphic, they were in public, Chromemco, mm-hmm. um, and nobody noticed. Um, and then IBM came in and said, ah, oh, now it's a business. But, but you know, um, Microsoft is almost 50 years old as a company. Yeah. Um, and, and so a lot of this stuff, you know, there's people sort of uh, out, you know, toiling in the vineyards when, and when and nobody said, well, w- wake me up when it's a bottle of wine. Um, 
And, and I think an industry that's happening right now is potentially cannabis. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, it's like, oh, look, we're, we're good. We're, we're going public. And, and what I really think will happen is that you're going to see the, the nature-made vitamins and the ConAgras and the, you know, the yeah. Philip Morrises or whatever they call themselves now um, just coming in and bigfooting the whole business. Yeah. It's like when it's legal, they're going to say, well, thank you all very much for getting this legal and getting it adopted. We'll take it from here. hard work, right. Yeah. Corporatizing. But, but, but that's one of the things is that when people think about innovation and think about, you know, technology – um, you know, we used to joke about it's the 10th annual year of mobile. Like, when's mobile going to be a big deal? Mm-hmm. And it's like, then suddenly like, wait, where'd mobile come from? It's huge. Mm-hmm. Right. But it sort of went from nothing to huge with very little in the middle. But, you, but you're kind of going back to your story about how you wanted to bet on the future, right? Yes. So this idea, and betting on the future and then sticking with it. You um, you shared some pretty amazing stories um, and I'll, I'll just, I'll headline them so you can share them. But when you were at Shiat Day and, oh. uh, with those guys. Well, yeah, well, that was 82. And so, uh, it's one of the rare moments when both Jay Chiat and Guy Day were in Chiat Day. Yeah. And they had just bought the advertising business from Regis McKenna, mm-hmm. who was one of the early leading lights in Silicon Valley. And Regis said, I'm just going to focus on PR. Uh, and that included Apple, Intel, Shugar, Kalma, and a bunch of other stuff. And they were trying to recruit me to become management supervisor and run everything except Apple. And they said, look, we're losing money. Get it profitable. And then we'll get you off of this and get you on some real business. Like peaches. Yes. I like it. This should be your, this should be a new, your new book, from, you know, from peaches to Apple. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. I've been thinking about that for you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, You're welcome. No taken. <laughs> uh, no, but, the, um, but, but in his mind, even as somebody who had done technology advertising, had just gone out of his way to buy Apple and Intel and stuff as accounts. He thought it would be a promotion to go off of Intel and onto Christian Brothers Brandy and California Peaches. Right. Because it wasn't a real business. Yeah. And yet you, but you didn't. You, you yeah, wanted I, to yeah, be. Right. And I said, hey, thanks. Uh, I'm going to stick with I'm, this. I'm staying. I'm going to stick with this. Yeah. And then, and, and you know, I'm. Like, and basically, my... I don't want to work for a guy who doesn't think it's real business. Right. And so you, and so you moved off of that. So yeah. where did you, where did you go after that? Well, so actually, uh, I, just, I stayed put for a while. Okay. So, so I was actually a shareholder of one of the first ad agencies in Silicon Valley focused on technology. Really? Yeah. Which, we, which was uh, it was that? called Tyser Foltz Bellock. Okay. We, uh, I joined them in 1977. We sold it in 88 to BBDO and Omnicom. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I went over to, to Ogilvy & Mather for a few years. I ran the Microsoft ad business worldwide. That's where I got, a, got a, the, the kind of the up-close look at Windows. Ah, okay. And, um, like your third or your second and your Yeah, yeah, somewhere in the middle. Yes, right? somewhere in the middle, yeah. Yeah, of your middle. So, and then and then you were, then you kind of moved to the, from there over to the ad base. Uh, to, I went there to publishing. No. Oh, publishing, right. Yeah. Okay. So you, it was all that became multiple chapters. Yeah. So, so I spent 10 years with International Data Group, which is still one of the great role models for entrepreneurial businesses. Uh, we, we were a legitimately global business. We we're in 77 countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I ran these the uh, nat- global account relationships, top mm-hmm. 30 technology companies on a worldwide basis, and was like negotiating arms control treaties. We, we negotiated a, tr- uh, say a treaty, uh, a contract with IBM. It was on five continents and 34, 40 countries. And you we were negotiating all around the world, rolling up to New York. Yeah. You... Um... So what I was, what's interesting about when you think about your six and sort of how you've you progressed, you you stuck with these notions again, sort of that notion of completion, but you more impressive than just sticking with it and being like, no, no, I've got commitment and conviction. You stuck with it 
at the time where everybody else was leaving it. So you were right in the middle of the bubble. Tell me what was happening in, in the 99, huh. 2000s. Well, yeah. So, so impeccable time. Like I said, so don't, don't make it sound like I'm that smart. Um, I, <laughs> well, you've done something, I, I, I right, left, I, I, left, I left a good job <laughs> in early 2000 to start a venture-funded web media startup. Um, just in time for the nuclear winter and the massive crash. Um, but I will say, like, I, I, we survived. I got a profitable. I sold it, and I walked out the door to my own, pro- own power. But, um, the, you know, that was um, – so, you know, in most of these technology booms, if you get in and get out early, you can make a lot of money. It's like I said, it's like if you put money in with Bernie Madoff early and took it out, you made a lot of money. Right. It's just it's the folks that sort of stayed around for the last dance that lost everything. Yeah. And same thing was true. The guys that went into Lycos and other stuff, Netscape early in the late 90s, they made money and walked away. Um, the folks that were still holding the bag in 2000, 2000 was actually the worst year. But if you remember, the, the NASDAQ crashed in April 2000. Yeah. Uh, then there was this kind of phony war for a year. Nobody quite knew what was happening. Venture money was tight. Uh, then, but we were sort of treading water. And then 9-11 happens in 2001. And then it was like, yeah, we're treading water. They threw us a boat anchor. Mm-hmm. Um, so from 2001 through all of 2002 into 2003, that was the nuclear winter. That was just desperate times. Uh, and that's when a lot of people said, okay, I'm just going to go walk about. I'm going to teach English in Italy. I'm going to go sell real estate. But and, and at the same time, what happened was a lot of the venture cap – so big media said, good, we told you. It's all a fraud. Right. And we're glad it's gone. Uh, venture capitalists came in and said, all right, to their LPs, they said, look, Scout's Honor, we promise we'll never invest in another B2C web media business, ad support, and we want nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, and so for those of us that sort of stayed around, and there was a class of, and I, okay, so after I sold DevX, I went to work for one of my good friends at Prime Media to turn around about.com. Mm-hmm. And that was 2003 into 2004. And it was sort of just the least little bit of a thaw. And... We, you know, we, we decided there we're going to go all in on search. That's another one where it's sort of bet on the future. Mm-hmm. What we bet was that search and basically Google would change the way people consumed information. Mm-hmm. And people accused us of being a Google bitch. We said, yes, we're going to be a really, really good Google bitch. And we, you know, we totally, we played SEO as a blood sport. Everybody else sort of grudgingly said, all right, well, we'll, we'll put a couple of keywords on there. And we said, no, 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 no. We're going to look at what people are searching for. We're going to write headlines that'll, that'll score well. We're going to... And uh, and we made a lot of money on AdSense. I'm in both the I'm on the 10th anniversary uh, video for AdSense that Google put out because I was one of their first customers. And 10 years later, I was still working on AdSense. <laughs> um, and, but it was but what was interesting about it was it, it was actually you know initially people people started game at big time. It was a good consumer experience. Hey, how do I install a ceiling fan? And we would write an article, and it would. Uh, you know, say here, say you do it. Don't have it fall out of the ceiling. Don't burn down the house. Um, and Google could run AdSense against that. And so we were doing in in two thousand and four, probably twenty five million dollars a year in AdSense revenue, which was a really good living. Um, and but then I had to go, you know, run the gauntlet when we sold it to the New York Times mm-hmm. in two thousand and five. Um, had to go meet with their editorial team and defend my edit. Wow. Um, which was an interesting experience. Yeah. Um, what was that? Well, it was um, basically what I had to say was, look, you guys are both coasts, blue states. 
uh, you know, you're trying to, you know, world peace, cure cancer, all sorts of important high-minded mm-hmm. stuff. I said, I am middle class, middle brow, middle America. I said, I write for the America you fly over. I said, I got 1,200 crockpot recipes. And I said, just, you guys don't get my world, and that's okay. I yeah. said, but don't try to fix it. Yeah. And uh, and they were like, yeah, but like you've got these like uh, independent contractors writing this stuff, and they publish it first. You know, why don't you have editors? Why don't you? And I said, basically, the model doesn't work that way. Um, and I, I sort of didn't quite say it, but I sort of finessed them into mentioning that they had just had the whole Jason Blair scandal. And oh. he's like, okay, so uh, how's that get by three levels of editors? <laughs> right. Um, but um, Maybe there's a flaw in there. No, no. And, and, and to their credit, the Times ran it well, left it alone, and just let them. And I, w- I would argue that the about acquisition is what kept the Times from going bankrupt. Oh. Uh, you know, at you know, the time they did the Carlos Slim deal in the new building, yeah. the cash flow from about was one of the things that kept them solvent. Mm. Did you – so kind of going through, just thinking through, you've seen so much through your career in terms of not only the companies that you run and the trends, of course, but I was I was thinking about the CEOs because we had spoken, I think, and I had read about something else that you had, had talked about recently about um, – it was sort of you were talking about your personal brand. You were saying things yeah. like, you know, when people think that people love you or like you, uh, you know, because of your corporate title, right. it's a harsh reality when you leave that corporate title and you no longer carry that media budget or weight. We've yeah. all been in those positions. What are you seeing today? So going from your history as running a lot of these companies and sort of sticking with these trends and now continuing to look to the future – and you're investing in companies, and you you're betting on people. Yep. Right? You're betting on the dog as much as you are the the track. Yes. And the the difference of the individuals and their expectations. Are you seeing a difference in today's CEOs versus when you started off as a CEO? Sure, sure. Um, and some of the biggest difference. I mean. I'll start with an analogy from the media business and bring it back to this. Before Google, before social media, authority and media flowed from the organization to the individual, like so from the organization to the editor-in-chief to the reporter to the story. Mm-hmm. Is oh, well, this story ran on the New York Times. It must be a good story. Right. Now, because of the atomization of information, um, People discover stories on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, via search. And more and more, the authority goes from the story to the reporter and then back to the media brand. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, the same thing is happening more broadly. Whereas before, you, know, you sort of reference it, but people had sort of ex officio authority, ex officio. And um, we were talking about Ash Carbofushin from Watch Mojo. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about sort of what's he said, what's one of the biggest myths? Yes. Um, about management, and I said, yeah, I said the, the myth is they work for you. You really work for your employees, mm-hmm. and the more employees you, you work for your customers, you work for employees. You work, you know, it's like you work for everybody, and that is actually more true than ever. Uh, so way back when people said, oh, I have to worry about my job. I have to worry about keeping my boss happy. I want a career. Now it's very much the gig economy. Everybody's a free agent. Yeah. Nobody plans to stand around very long. Um, and so they're building their personal brand, and they view that as being highly transportable. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's like the NBA. Yeah. It's like, you know, the players recruit players. The players are, no, I don't think I want to do this. I'm going to go over there. Yeah. 
trade me now. Yeah. Um, and, and so now you are, as opposed to a, a directive boss, mm-hmm. now you are a recruiter, a motivator, a coach. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're mm-hmm. trying to recruit great talent, especially you know, with 3% unemployment um, and a highly fluid workforce. Right. It's like the hardest thing is recruiting talent, recruiting, keeping talent. And so now it's like, so, you know, it's a it's, uh, guy I used to work with. He's called the Universal Radio Station, W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? <laughs> and, no, and, and so now all of your – but but no, but, but your employees are going, hey, what's in it for me? What do I care? Oh, yeah. And it's like, and you know what? If I'm not happy, I'm leaving. Yeah. And, you know, it's um, – and do you – when you, because you were talking about, and I've been with a company too, and it's all about the people, and you can you bring in a team of people because you can hit the ground running. But I find that, um, you know, there's so many young CEOs today because everybody's got an idea, and you're right about the the three percent unemployment. And so, do you find it harder to discern between the the person? And I'm looking at you in terms of your history because yeah. you you can look at yourself, you know, back in the '70s and your commitment. Yeah. And your hunger and your willingness to, you know, go all in, if yeah. you will. Um, do you do you see that today, or is it harder to find because everybody's sort of in the game because everybody's you're having to sift through more? I guess is where I'm trying to go. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different things wrapped up in that one question. Um, so one of my good friends runs a incubator, global incubator. And we were talking to their, their MDs from around the world. And we had a, a closed-door, no mercy, no malice session. Okay. No mercy, uh, no malice. And, but, but, so that's why I've got to be very circumspect. But one of the things we talked about was, well, there's, there's two things that are relevant. One was, so you paint a picture of, oh, it's all happy, happy. We're going to, like, hire cool people. We're going to start great technologies. And we're going to all get rich. It's all going to be great. Right. It's, all, it's like unicorns and rainbows. Right. It's like, no, you get in there. Everything's messy and screwed up and, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like, oh, didn't we tell you? That's what early stage stuff is like. It's all messy. It's all crazy. And it always changes and nothing goes the way it's supposed to. Oops, forgot to tell you. But the other thing is that there's a right. There's a, a flavor in Silicon Valley is lionizing 23, 25-year-old engineers as founders, mm-hmm. call them a CEO. And what we actually realized when you really look at it hard very, there are very few Bill Gateses and Michael Dells mm-hmm. and Steve Jobs. It, it, m- m- very few people go from concept to mega corporation, mm-hmm. and and so, and to some extent, they're actually doing these fellows. It's almost all guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, much as we'd all love to have More diversity, diversity, it's like, but most of who are getting it is twenty-five-year-old mm-hmm. male computer scientists, um, and they think. I'm 25. I'm a CEO, yeah. and I'm going to be Bill Gates. Uh, and to some extent, though, they, they sort of drive them off a cliff mm-hmm. because as the, if they're unsuccessful, that's easy. just failed. But if you're successful, then it's like, oh, now we got to have HR. Now we got to have sales. Now we got to have manufacturing. Now we got to have right. – and there was nothing in his dorm room that prepared him to run okay. a, a, a company. Right, to be a CEO. Right, right. right. And, and so to some extent, we've sort of discounted the value of experience, general management experience. Mm-hmm. And said, so, no, no, if you're, if you're a bright young guy with a lot of tech chops, you can do anything. Yeah. 
And and I will say, and I, I've known a number of those CEOs. I didn't know Jobs at all, but I, I knew Gates up close and personal pretty well. I knew Michael Dell pretty well. Um, and and in all those stories, there's guys that don't get talked about. Uh, in the case of Microsoft, John Shirley was the hidden figure. Hmm. Uh, he was in there as president with Gates and Balmer. He came from Radio Shack, of all places, which 30 years ago was a big deal. But John had big company general management experience. Mm. Uh, Michael Dell, in like so he came out of the dorm room at UT. He hired a more topfer from Motorola. And more was a little bit of flamboyant, long flowing gray hair, and but you look like a, a, a symphony conductor. Mm. But um, Mort said, "Oh yeah, yeah, this is how you run like big time businesses." Yeah. Um, and, and so you know, it's always you know, Michael's on stage. It is Dell computer, and he deserves it. He's yeah. brilliant. But they always kind of backfilled with senior folks. They say, "Okay, yeah, do this, don't do that." And it's like I think. You know, a company like Uber, if they had had a little bit more of that and a little bit less of the bro culture, mm -hmm. they might have had fewer problems. Be more profitable or, or profitable at all. I don't even know if that's possible. Uh, it's like I, I'm just I'm not sure. Our mutual friend Brad Barons does yes, a great job of analyzing the economics does. of I mean, Uber. Yeah. But um, check out Brad Barons. Uh, yeah, his he does a great write up. Yeah, so the Center for the Digital Future at USC. Yeah. Um, but. I'm not sure that they could be profitable, mm -hmm. but they could have avoided some of the embarrassing scandals, some of the fights with cities, some of the, you know, the, the, the um, PR oh gosh, disasters. Uh, gray ball or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, but there's a lot of that stuff that they did that they probably didn't need to do. Um, and, and it's just, but it's the, it's the frat boys, you know, turn loose, unchained. Right. right. Is it, what is you, so just in your, just your sage, your your years of, of having seen this. Why why is that happening? Is it just be why why is that coming to fruition? I get this is it is a frat boy. All the things you're saying are true, but it seems like you hear about it more now in companies, and they're successful ish despite well, themselves. But I, I think I think it's been well. So I think it's always been it's been prevalent in different businesses at different times. You know, everybody in Hollywood is horrified by the Me Too movement. But the, the but the casting couch has been a meme for a hundred years. Yeah, it's like so. Wait, so who didn't know this was happening? It's <laughs> Why like, are you horrified just now? Right, yeah. right, right, right. right. Um, you know, um, you know. Obviously, there was in politics. It's like so. Sure. So it's so. So there's always been sort of bad behavior. Uh, it's not like it's like we suddenly invented bad behavior. But I think that what's happened is that um, I think it is inbreeding in Silicon Valley. Everybody sort of comes from the same places. And and it's a it's sort of the um, you know Ayn Rand gone yeah. wild. Mm -hmm. It's you know be selfish, don't respect the rules, do whatever you got to do as long as you succeed. Yeah. And th there's no confidence that you can be successful or at least as successful by sort of adhering to any sorts of rules and principles. And so it's like, hey, not our problem. Just. Right. Don't get caught. Right. So we've kind of created a culture of that now. Yeah. And to your point, there's just more recognition or awareness because of the, the social, the social media, the you know, the information proliferation. Yeah, it's, it's much, it, it comes out much more easily. Mm -hmm. It's harder to, you know, once upon a time, you know, um, at the time of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, you know, they could say, hey, like the, the the American people didn't know Franklin Roosevelt had polio and was in a wheelchair. Right. It's like right. there was a need. It's like. You know, it's like for, for, you know, 12 years of presidency, yeah. 
They, they, they kept that out of the news. Radio, right? Yeah, thankfully. Well, right, yeah. radio, but, but they posed him carefully. But, but more than that, everybody said, yeah, we, I guess we don't need to know this. Yeah. Right. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff where it's like, yeah, it's just not, it's not, it's not newsworthy. Relevant, right. Now it's like everything's going to come out. And the more sensational, the better. Right. And God, God love it if we got a video. Yeah, oh g- 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 give me Give me a cell phone video. That's all I could ask Soundbite. for. Soundbite, yes. Yeah. Right, yeah. to use. And, and so um, I think that's actually been a, you know, one of the changes is now it's impossible. It's impossible to keep secrets, A. And B, I think all of us are much less tolerant. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it used to be, oh, that just sort of, that's just boys being boys, that just sort of happens. Now mm-hmm. it's like, no, 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 it's not, it's not necessary. Yeah. But I think there's a, and it's funny because I gave a, a talk on corporate culture to the BYU Management Society. Ah. Uh, and, and, you know, I said, basically, you don't run your company, your culture does. And I was saying that, on the one I said, very positive example, Pat McGovern is one of the great, was one of the great entrepreneurial CEOs, started a business from scratch, ran it for 50 years global business, uh, made enough money that he could donate $350 million to MIT for brain research. Uh, and the whole time was run with 10, you know, 10 corporate values on the wall of every office. You know, let's try an attitude, respect for the individual, you know, focus on, on building the best products. I mean, and, and the thing was, everybody knew that we actually meant it. Uh. You know, unlike Wells Fargo or Uber, where it's like, yeah, yeah, that's what they're saying, but they don't really mean that. Um, I mean, I was literally in meetings with McGovern when I was running kind of corporate sales with uh, Charles Huang of Computer Associates or uh, Bob Herbold, who was the chief operating officer of Microsoft. And Bob, who is an absolute gentleman, said, hey, you know, uh, your editors wrote some really unfavorable things about Windows 95. And I've got some hot-headed product managers that want to cancel all of our advertising. Oh, my. And Pat was like, well, I... I really wouldn't like that to happen. I'm really, really sorry, but do what you got to do. Wow, good for him. Yeah, yeah. No, but he says, look, he says, Integrity. the reason the reason you find our publications valuable is that our readers trust them. Right. And if we don't tell them that our readers the truth, they won't trust us anymore. Right. And so he says, so we'll just all have to live it out. And trust is at the core. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so, um, and you had people that stayed there ten years, twenty years. Uh, it was and. and but what was interesting was he was able to recruit great entrepreneurs to run businesses. Um, and, and he gave them like in, insane amounts of latitude. Uh, one of my favorite stories, a guy named Benk Marnfeld was running Sweden. And he lived three weeks of the month in south of France. Uh, and I say, like, why are you living in the south of France? He goes, the weather's better. And <laughs> he goes, isn't that a problem? Obvious, right? He goes, isn't that a problem? I said, isn't that a problem? He goes, Hey, I've made my plan for 13 years in a row. When I don't make my plan, I'll move back to Stockholm. That's a problem. <laughs> That's great. No, no, no. But 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 within the IDG culture, it was, you know, And by the way, the IDG was the first company that I knew that did 360 degree reviews. Really? Yeah, yeah. As a CEO, your 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 review was in part based on what your employees thought of you, what your peers thought of you. Interesting. So there's no just managing up. Yeah, and like and so that was. You know, like I said, it's, it's the company's still in existence. Pat passed away four or five years ago, but it was very successful for five decades by doing the right thing. Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, you got to sell out. Um, the other the other example I used was because uh, I did this during the NC two A basketball tournament. Is I um, did John Wooden's rules. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's like, and you know, they're they're basically they sound like Girl Scouts or yeah. something. And yes, old fashioned, right? Yeah, very old fashioned, very yeah. square. Right. But it's like, hey, through the '60s and the '70s, when this all societal change, he won ten national championships 
by having these like really square values. And guys like Bill Walton, who's the ultimate deadhead, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who every thought was a radical, swear he's like the greatest influence in, in their lives. Yeah. Because yeah, you, don't have, you don't have to cheat. You don't have to be a bad person. Right. You don't have to bend the rules. Yeah. Well, there's something I think really nice about that story combined with your story because, it, again, I go back to sort of this armchair psychology situation yeah. that I like to put myself in periodically where you you saw this – you created this value for yourself. You saw your father's hard work, but he saw his lack of execution and follow-through yeah. yep. and maybe planning and commitment. But you took that – and, and followed those all the way through, even when it wasn't looking like it was the yeah. smart or wise thing to do. Yeah. You chose to do it anyway, and you still are able to find those examples and basically use some of that filter to discern what's what's, what's successful, what isn't. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, you know, and it's a bit of a cliche, but doesn't mean it's not true. It's all about people. Yeah. And um, – uh, Emma McElroy, who I introduced you to. Yes. Uh, when I was making an investment in Wild Fang. Oh, right. Um, um, I said, you know, I said, I'm willing to be wrong about you. Yeah. Um, it's like, I, I just, I believed in, I, I do mm-hmm. believe in her. I believe in her at the time. I believe in her now. Um, and I think she's a great person, a great CEO. Right. And it's like, all right, so we'll live it out. We'll, yeah. I think this is going to be successful. But we'll give it a best shot. It's like, if it is, it isn't, it's okay. It's right. like. It's not the uh, end of the world. And it doesn't change your opinion of her. Right. right? It's, it's still people-based. Right. And, and I am still friends with people I worked with 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and so – and we keep crossing paths. Yeah. Which is – Sometimes – well, the old school values, right? They are, they're the what keep people connected. Yeah. And it goes back to your point about people who live in that corporate world and the corporate title and you find out who your friends are when you, when step, you step out, out of that. Yeah. Right? And so now that you've stepped out of at least that big part of the corporate side and are, are doing other things here – what um what's what does success look like for you moving forward? What is your new definition? Oh, what has it changed? Uh, well, it is it's always changing. Um, I, I have become progressively more serious about my photography for the last oh. fifteen years. I mean, and, and I'm sort of at the uh, I'm transitioning from being an amateur to a semi professional. Wow. You know, like I'll sell okay. thirty pictures a year or something. Oh, you sell them? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Really, like, truly. So I've crossed this over to like hobby. I, okay. I've got no. It's a hobby, but I've got I've had like three shows in the last eighteen months. I, like I said I'll sell 25, 30 pictures a year. Yeah. It's like so. It's like <clears throat> it's so. It's now. It's like well, where do I want to spend more time going forward? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, um, it's it's this thing about you know fall fall forward, make mm-hmm. a mistake going forward, fail fast forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the things I'm most interested in right now is I'm, I'm the chairman of the Nominating and Governance Committee on LendingTree. Mm-hmm. And so – and we've had a – you know, talk about public value – public market value creation. We've gone from under $100 million in market cap when we spun out of IEC in 2008 to about $4 billion right now. <laughs> and – but one of the things I've got to think about is – so what is the role of the board – in a business that's growing that fast, mm. what does the board need to look like for the next ten years? What, what's the best practices in in governance? It's yeah. like you know, should we have terms? Should we have term limits? Should mm-hmm. we, you know, what types of folks will we need as the business? You know, it's, it's like we always talk about kind of the don't become complacent, don't fall in love with where you used to be. It's like, and to some extent, it's the if you look at the kind of the failures of boards of directors, like a Theranos. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or even, I'll say, even a Kodak. Because uh, it's a different kind of failure. I mean, Theranos is like criminal failure. Right. But Kodak was, excuse me, I know this film business is nice, but uh, digital? Yeah. 
Uh, and it was a, a bit negligent, right? Yeah. Um, like I said, it was that that sort of trying to fall back on the happy childhood. It was like, oh well, we we've done really well for a hundred years being a film company. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you, and and the problem is companies always were at the wrong. Like Kodak worried about Fuji, they didn't worry about digital. Right. And so as as a member of the board of directors, one of the things that's interesting is going. All right, hang on. So a, how do we institutionalize challenging ourselves, where we don't just say, oh, that's nice, congratulations on a good quarter, but go, are we in the right businesses? Are we doing things the right way? How should we think about this thing? What types of folks do we need? Um, And by the way, we got from the 100 million market cap to the 4 billion, we actually reinvented, we did a radical reinvention of the business where we actually had to basically do a heart transplant on ourselves while running a a public company. Hmm. Um, And we did it successfully, Mm -hmm. but it's like, you know, we gotta be willing to do that again. Right, it's a big it's a big risk, but you're forcing them to look forward and not be complacent in the in the yeah yeah and not small just, returns and not just constant. optimize for the present, but right. really say okay, what, what's the what's going to come in from the corner of the frame, and disrupt our business, mm-hmm. and, and so that that's actually really interesting to me is that sort of uh, that and I'm always looking for sort of you know the next new technology yeah um, I, I've sat out Bitcoin to date okay. <laughs> Interesting. But trying to figure out what, uh, you know, I always said that, that this hasn't happened yet, but I think the intersection of voice, artificial intelligence, and big data is going to just transform retail. Okay. So this is it. So so anybody listening, so if they've got something like that, <coughs> yep. reach out to you? Yeah. No, but, but see, but I think I think that's another example, though, where everybody's like, oh, look, this is all supposed to have happened already. Right. You're like, why, why, why hasn't retail been, been transformed yet? It's like it's Thursday. We should be done by now. Uh, but no, but it's like, but things don't change that fast. Much yep. as we all want them to, they don't change that well, fast. Especially things with that much infrastructure. Yep. Right? They're yep. built in. Well, Peter, this has been fabulous. Thank you so for much fun. coming and spending so much time and talking about you um, <laughs> and your, your thinking. I think it's been really inspirational. And uh, yeah. I know I know I am inspired. So oh, thank you. It's very nice. Thank you. Thanks so much. Okay. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.